go, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. That's right. You know, there's just not going to be any way that we're going to throw the book of Genesis out with the bathwater. We're not even going to throw chapters 1 and 2 out. We believe that this is God's word, and every word of it is true. And we've said last week many times, the reason why this world is in such a mess is because people are not listening. Well, first of all, probably believing that God is who he is that he did really create this whole world. You know, they, they got a problem with that, and then they're certainly not going to pick up his word because they don't believe that's true. So, you know, I feel sorry for them. You know, there's really no way of talking to them then. You know, if somebody tells me that they don't believe that God's word is true, I just pretty much stop because that's what I use. That's what I use for my basis of this is what God said. This is what the Bible says. And if they don't believe that, so... But then, you know, look what happens. Look what happens. What a, what a world, you know? But last week we did, we did see how Genesis 1 and 2 do go so beautifully together and, and how chapter 1, I think it's supposed to just make us in awe of him because how, you know, in the beginning when, when he started creating this universe and this world, you know, he has no beginning, he has no end. So in the beginning when he decided to create all this so he could enjoy it, that we could be a part of it, that we could enjoy it, and um, he, had, he had big plans. And I mean, he still does, you know, but, but that in the beginning when he created and then how first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, so orderly, so perfect. And then the first day when he said, let there be light and let us not confuse that light with the fourth day sun, moon, and stars light because he's that light. It's like, I just feel that on that first day, he just put his lighted presence in the middle of it all. And he is our light, always has been and always will be. So um, then, then um, we move into chapter two after the sixth day, after the animals are created, after um, the, even male and female, we um, are created. But then we move on to the second chapter and it's like he starts, Moses kind of writes it this way and, and of course it's Holy Spirit um, you know, the Holy Spirit is telling Moses what to write. It's so inspired by, by God himself. So the second chapter starts in, thus, after you read, read the first chapter, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. So that was completed. The word completed says that, that he completed creation in those six days. And, and then on the seventh day, then he says, but you can work your head off all you want in six days. But, you know, the way you, you can see it today, you know, when people just work, 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 you just get so pulled in every direction. And so you need a day where you just kind of bring it back. You, you kind of put him back back in his proper place, and you get back in yours, and, you know, it just makes so much sense to then worship him, to fix and turn your eyes back on him, and then he talked about that word rest, and that word rest is, you know, everyone, we just need it, we just need a day like this to remind ourselves that, that we are so worth it, and that, that there isn't any circumstance or any person because in one week's time, how our lives can change. But to always be reminded that we rest in the fact that our salvation is secure and there isn't a circumstance or a person or anything that can take that away from us. And you can almost feel yourself just, oh, yeah, that's right. That's what matters. And then he starts then going on. This is an account of the heavens and the earth. It's kind of like um, if you had any questions about how this, this garden was going to be watered or because nothing was mentioned of rain. And, you know, he had the best sprinkling system ever. I mean, he just brought water, just the right amount of water, right up out of the ground. And he said that. And then, and then he's, it's like he said, and then did you ever wonder where I put 
the created man and woman. I created a male and female. Did you ever wonder what I did with them, where I put them in this creation? And then he says, I, I made a garden for them, and I put them in that garden. And then right away, he says to, to Adam, he says, you know, I'm going to put two trees. I'm going to put two trees right in the middle of the garden. Because there's no way I want you loving me and obeying me and listening to me because I, I'm just pushing the right buttons. I want you to already, even in a perfect world, I want you to know you've got a choice. And so those two trees were right there and very clear instruction. And he commanded, he used the word, command, you must not eat from that tree of knowledge of good and evil. You know, I don't think they even knew what evil was. I mean, I'm sure they knew what the word good was because God said it and it was good. I'm sure that they heard the word good and what it looked like because everything was perfect. But, you know, when they heard the tree of knowledge of good and evil, I bet they didn't even know what evil was. And we're going to see in tonight's lesson when that becomes very clear and real to them. But um, anyway, God made it clear. And he said, too, if you disobey me, if you do eat from that tree, you will die. And to think that he uses that word die even in a perfect world. I mean, he didn't didn't, um, spare any words. He said disobedience will, will reap the consequences in death. So very, very clear. And then, um, he, then of course, you know, he told Adam that your job is to name all the animals and, and all the creatures, and, and he did such a bang-up job with that. And then when that was all done, God said, you know, it's not good for you to be alone. You need a suitable helper. And so he created Eve, and, and we know how, you know, that all transpired. But then he married them. I mean, it was, here's where marriage starts. Remember last week when we said that Genesis really is so much of our fundamental teaching and basics and everything was started in Genesis. And so even the institution of marriage, and he said, for this reason, a man, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. There it is. Not complicated. This is, this is the standard he set up. And all was working well, you know? All was working well. And then all of a sudden, and, and you know, when I say all of a sudden, you know, I don't know how this all transpired, but I do know that it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other animals that the Lord God had made. So now what about that serpent anyway? You know, this, this serpent, from, from the way I, I studied this chapter, probably had, you know, I think even the serpent, I think they always got along fine. I think there was nothing, the serpent was not, you know, we, we are so on this side. So, I mean, when I think of a serpent, all I can think of is snake. He was not a snake yet. He was a serpent, and they, they were able to communicate together. Um, you know, when he started talking to Eve, there was, no, there was no fear, so I think they had something. You know, I, I think this serpent could have been um, beautiful and noble and probably had quite a, a position in that garden, and, but for whatever reason, Satan, and we don't see his name here. We don't see the name Satan in the third chapter. But I can give you, if, you're, if, you, if you don't believe me, but I think you will. But there's so many passages of scripture that prove that Satan was the one that embodied the serpent. It, the serpent wasn't the problem. It was... Satan, who decided to put himself in this creature, and then he had this approach of what he was going to do, and he knew how he was going to do it. He's so crafty. He was so cunning. And as much as I don't like talking about the devil, I don't like to say I don't like to give him the time. We have to at least talk about him and make sure that we're all aware. I mean, we all know he's bad and we all, but you know, 
in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel, Satan was an angel. He was an angel. In fact, um, Ezekiel goes on to say that he was in a high position. He led worship. He, he was a great angel. And then in Isaiah 14, it's very clear that, that he looked at God and decided, I can do that. I want to be that. I want that kind of power and authority, and I'm going to take it away from him. I mean, he just really thought that he could just exchange places and, and he was going to be God. Well, it didn't work out that way and it doesn't, and God never will share his glory. And, and so he was cast out, was cast out. And of course, the big question is, you know, where did he land? You know, what, what did he do? When did this happen? I have no idea. I have no idea. All I know is that in Genesis 3, he embodied himself into this creature because he has a goal. He has a big goal. He's got that same goal yet today because if you think he's interested in you, he's not. You and I are just pawns that he loves to use to get back at God. He will use us he, care, he could care less about us, but he will do whatever it takes to get, to get God sad. And, and he, has two, one of, he has two purposes. The first one is he will do whatever he has to do to keep us away from the cross, to keep human beings away from the cross. He knows what that cross has done, and he will do whatever it takes to keep people from seeing themselves as sinners and walking to that cross and accepting that salvation that's offered in Jesus. He, he does not want us filled with the Holy Spirit because he knows that, yes, he is cunning, and yes, he can outsmart human beings, but he cannot overpower the Holy Spirit. And so when we release the Holy Spirit, that's why no temptation is too great. There's nothing Satan can do. No matter how enticing he is, if we've got the power of God's Spirit within us, and so he will try to keep us from having all that and knowing all that. He'll, he wants to keep us lost. He wants to keep us lost because then we'll just join with him later in that eternal death. And, and he also then, if he... And I pray every one of us here tonight, I hope every one of us, we're so sure that that's not us. He did not win. We've been to the cross. Our salvation has been bought and paid for, and we are without question saved by grace. Sinners, yes, but saved by grace. But he, you, you want to think that, well, then he lost, then, you know, he, he lost, so now he won't bother me anymore. No, that, of course, is... We know that's not true. So he's got another ploy that he will work on. He will do whatever it takes. If he hasn't kept us from the cross, he will keep us from being effective for Jesus. In other words, he'll keep us down and defeated and, and crabby and negative. And, you know, because there isn't anybody who really wants to be a part of that. They would, certainly wouldn't want to come along and join us. So he, if he keeps us ineffective, if he keeps us so out of the word, if somehow he makes us so busy that, that we just don't have time to grow and mature and cling, and, and we, we veer off course, and, and then he is so happy because then he knows we will be ineffective will get off the road that we said in Psalm 119, how do you keep a, how do you keep a young man, middle-aged man, old man, young woman, middle-aged woman, old woman? How do you keep your way pure? It's by keeping your Bibles open and studying and, and hearing his voice. And so he will try one of two things, keep you from the cross or make you ineffective so no one wants to come along. And no one wants to listen to us. So now he is going to approach 
Eve here. And, you know, when, when God told Adam, you can eat from any tree, I mean, how positive is that? You know, he's saying, all of these trees. And, you know, Adam probably looked around when God said that, and he said, they're all, they're all for you. And you can enjoy them, and they're gorgeous, and, and they're delicious, and you, have, you can eat from every one. But I command you, there's one tree. But, but that's said in such a positive way. Now, when Satan came, he came in, and just look how he, look how he approached her in such a negative, confused, doubtful way. Those words are so of the enemy, confusion and doubt. That's why you can tell that he is so going and raining havoc on this world because did you ever see such confusion? I mean, our, even our children now are getting confused about who they are and all that kind of stuff. Confusion is such a word of the enemy and doubt. And it seems like our, our, our old human nature just kind of gravitates to that. And he uses it for sure. Now, okay, he... So then... The, oh, then he, he said to the woman, right in verse 1, he said to the woman, right off the bat, did God really say? So he started negative right away. Did God really say? I mean, there was no saying, boy, isn't this someplace? Isn't this gorgeous? Uh, um, you know, and then just kind of start like that. No, he started right off negative. Did God really say? Just the start of that doubt. Did he say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? In my study this week, I have to tell you, I just had to laugh with some of the things that, that I, I heard people say. Because one, one was, you know, why would God go to the woman? Why didn't, or why did Satan go to the um, woman? Why didn't he go to the man? Why did he go to Eve? And, and one of the excuses that a person gave was, oh, because Adam didn't explain it good enough to her. And, he, and, and Satan knew that she didn't really know and she didn't understand. So he knew she would be a weak link. So, God, I know, where did they come up with this? And so then um, the woman said, because I, I don't know how they could come up with it because it says right there that Adam did a great job saying in explaining, because it wasn't complicated. I mean, God made it simple. I command you, you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I mean, how, how can you not understand that? And so the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden or you will die. So she said everything that God said to Adam. So there. She knew we must not, and the consequences are you will die. Now, she did add a couple words in there. She added, and you must not touch it. She said that God said you cannot touch it. Now, God never said that, because if you symbolically, you know, use that tree of knowledge of good and evil as kind of like our world. You know, we are, we have, we're, we live in this world. It's going to touch us. We're going to touch it. You cannot live in this world without having it touch you in some way. But he said, you know, you can't eat from it. And that is a big difference. When you eat something, it becomes a part of you. And then it comes out of you so that then, you know, it, your actions then reflect what you've eaten. You're, you eat this world. If you eat this world, and what does that mean? It's buying into everything. You know, the, the new culture, it's the new way, it's, it's uh, everybody's doing it, and, and it's the news, it's all the hopeless, the way you look at it. It's buying into all what the world is saying. It's a lie. It really is a lie. And Satan is a liar. 
but because of our human nature, we gravitate to that kind of message. They could eat from the tree of life. That was a good, that's a good question. They could eat from the tree of life. In fact, they were told to eat from the tree of life. You know, any tree, you know. And he, but he put those two, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, put them together in the middle because he wanted to show them, you will always have a choice. I won't, I won't make you do anything. I, I want you to know you can either choose my way or you can go your own way. Oh, I'm sure they could because God told them. You know, I'm sure that there was no question which one was the tree of life and which one was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, good questions there. So anyway, this little addition about you cannot touch it was something that she added. But... Um, God didn't say that. But anyway, then the serpent went on to say, oh, you will not surely die. The for, the, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, all Eve really heard there was that you will be like God. Your eyes will be open. Now, this is another crafty, cunning, tricky way that Satan operates. And that is, you know, he, he uses a little bit of truth. He'll always use a little bit of truth. I mean, even when Jesus was tempted by the devil, you know how he would even quote some scripture. I mean, and he makes it sound like, well, of course, I think, uh, yeah, I remember reading that. And he can... He can that's, that's why a temptation is so tricky with him. If he would just, like we've often said, if, if we could just identify him and see him coming, then when he dangles that temptation in front of us, we, we can see that it's him. And, but he, you know, like he, he embodied, he embodied this, this beautiful creature so that, you know, not only are you fooled, but, you know, and then he'll use words that they, oh, you're, you're, uh, their eyes are going to be opened in the very next couple verses, their eyes are going to be opened, but not in the way that Satan used to tempt him. Oh, your eyes will be open, so you'll be like God. It sounded so good. When the woman saw that, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, I mean, have you ever experienced? Well, I'm gonna just kind of sidetrack here. I mean, I I experienced this, and I'm sure many times, but I think of one in particular. You know, Satan can embody sometimes not only the people you least expect, but some who are really cute, and you know, you wouldn't ever picture. That you'd, when you'd look at that person, you would think, oh, oh, they are embodied by the devil. I can remember one time, a cute young girl came to my door in need of help. She, her life was a mess. Oh, my heart went out to her because she needed help. And I knew, I knew that, that, Jesus needed to get a hold of her, and I, and I felt, well, maybe I'm going to be the instrument. And so, I, oh man, I took her in. Should I should have seen when she wouldn't do one thing I told her to do in God's word. You know, I should have seen or caught on. But I'm just, no, she doesn't. She's not used to this. I got to give her time. Got to be patient. Oh my goodness. Oh, my goodness. She had no intentions of getting to know Jesus. But I'm telling you, Satan was going to use this cute little gal to try destroy our home. I'm telling you, if, if Satan would just kind of show up in front of us looking like the red suit and the, the horns and the pitchfork, then I... You, you know what to do. 
But no, just like in Genesis 3, he knows he's so crafty, he'll catch you off guard. But don't ever kid yourself. That's why we have to so be be, um, connected and clinging to God so that these flags can go up and we can be... We can be warned. And so um, here it says that when the woman saw that the fruit was good and, she, and, then, and even more so and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. See, it just, it just got her. Did you see the, the events? You know, I think when the serpent started talking to her, she, you know, she just joined, you know, Hey, hey, good to see you today. Or, you know, who knows? But then when the question came and then she probably kind of trusted him and then got her thinking, oh, he was so good at it. And then, and then he just, you could almost see Eve looking in the distance. Yeah, you know, you got something there. And and then he held that out and probably was the biggest and most delicious looking apple. And I can, can you just picture him? Just look at here, here. And, and she took it. And then she ate it. Now, did you notice that he didn't shove it down her throat and, and put it between her teeth and make her chew? See, Satan has got as much power as what we allow him to have. Well, no, I say an apple, piece of fruit, you know, piece of fruit. So even if it was, even if it was a, a banana, whatever it was, it, it was, it was such a beautiful piece of fruit that that it was so enticing. But that's how he works to entice us and to make it look so, and be, and our human nature gravitates to that, and and it was irresistible. But remember, Paul said it, I, I repeat, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation is too great if you go to the Lord for your way of escape. See, it always comes down, with, see, he's not manipulating, he's, we're not puppets, he's given us a choice. Which way? Who are you going to listen to? See, that's what I put in the top of my Bible on Genesis 3. What do I want to remember from this chapter? Obviously, I know it's when sin came into the world and all that, but for me personally, from a day-to-day, what do I want Genesis 3 to come at me with? And it, it, who am I going to listen to? Who am I going to, am I going to listen to me or am I going to listen to him? Do I really want to live according to God's commands and God's principles. Haven't I learned by now that when I, even though it, it's so tempting and it looks so good and it appeases my flesh and it's going to satisfy me right now, but the consequences, so often people don't think of the consequences that sin is going to do and have on us. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. You know, I always kind of thought that, that Adam was probably way on the other side, you know, working, working, you know, over on the other side of the garden or whatever. But, you know, he was right there. He was with her. So if she had any questions, you know, couldn't she have said, Adam, I do have that right, right? You know, she, she could have done that. Or I'm saying... Why didn't he pipe up and say, we were told, I was told, and yes, Eve, you've got it right, and God said it, that settles it. But just look at, again, with the power of self, when it's brought right in front of your face in a most enticing and in, in, in such a good, good way that appeals to us that, I mean, you've got to want it bad. Otherwise, you're just going to grab it. And you're going to eat it. And, and that's exactly what happened. And then, the, then look, look at verse 7. Just exactly. Then the eyes of both of them were open. See, their eyes were open. And not in the way that now they're going to be like God. No, just the opposite. Their eyes were open, and they realized they were naked. And they realized... 
that they had to cover themselves. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I mean, before, look at how last week we saw that, you know, they were both naked and not just a matter of that they didn't have clothes and they didn't need to have clothes because they had such a freedom and a closeness amongst each other, you know, and with God that, you know, it was so much more than they didn't even know they were, they didn't need anything else. They didn't need to cover anything because you think about how quickly new words came into being. New emotions came into being. I mean, like I said before, they probably didn't even know what evil was. They certainly did not know what ashamed was. They, they didn't know fear. They didn't know any of those words. And another thing, they never knew guilt before. And now all of these words are coming and all these emotions and look how it's all changed. Instead of walking in the garden and walking and talking and, and hearing God rustle and, and know that his presence is right there. I think that gives us such a glimpse of, of what our future is going to be like when he, when he creates a new heaven and a new earth. And, you know, don't ever think that, that you're going to be some angelic little angel with a harp and sitting on a cloud and in singing tunes all the time. You know, it's not going to be like that. They had jobs to do and they loved what they were doing. But to be able to know that God's presence was right there all the time with them, and that's what we're going to have. There's going to be so much to do. It's going to be so beautiful, but God's presence will always be there. And we won't need the light of sun, moon, and stars because he's that light, just, just exactly the way he intended it. So now they have to sew fig leaves together. Now, this was really good. I found out fig leaves prick. <laughs> Isn't that a good one? Fig leaves prick. Now, all I could think about were, you know, them, them making, you know, little coverings right in those parts that I wouldn't want to have brickers, you know, because all of this. But I thought, of course. You know, I don't mean to be silly, but of course. This is God saying, I want it to prick. I want, I want it to prick so that, that you will feel so uncomfortable that you will realize what you've done and you will do something about it. This is why guilt, it feels so terrible, but God says, I've I got to make it feel terrible or you'll just live in this. You'll just live in this sin if, it's not, if you don't have to do anything about it. So now they're wearing pricky fig leaves. <laughs> Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, I stopped there because this is the way it was. That they always, you know, they would hear God rustling. They heard the sound of the Lord God. He was walking in the garden. You know, he, he was there. How perfect is that? But now look, everything is so different now that they heard, now they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they, they hid, they hid from the Lord God. They hid among the trees of the garden. And I don't mean to be silly, but I can just see them trying to hurry and move with those pricky fig leaves, trying to hide behind some bush or tree. You know, oh, how miserable they were. And God is wanting them to be miserable. The Lord called to the man. He called to the man, and this is what he asked. Where are you? Now, did God not know where they were? Did they hide so good that he didn't know? Of course not. I used to sing a song in children's Bible, Lord, that, that uh, I haven't, you know, 
sung or even really thought about for years and years. And boy, did it come to my mind this week that just this little tune that said, you cannot hide from God. You cannot hide from God. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you cannot hide from God. I mean, it's just so simple and to the point, but it's so true. I mean, you cannot, as much as when we sin and we know it, I think we really do try to hide from God. And how do we do that? Well, we keep the Bible closed and, you know, we try not to think about it and we try to, um, we know that the Bible will be convicting and all that kind of thing. And we just try to, let's just, we just won't go there. So we do the same. And but God says, he always questions, and I think he still does with us today. He, he, he knows where we are, but he just, where are you? Where are you? Now, when he asked that question, when God asks, where are you? To them or to us, what is he so wanting to hear? I mean, he... They messed up. They messed up, and, and we mess up. And fortunately, we do have a, a God who comes after us and will say, where are you? And he'll, he'll use some tactic to get our attention. But he is lovingly, because he does not want us to continue in this, he'll say, where are you? And giving us a chance to what? Well, confess, repent, admit it. And I couldn't help but think of Psalm 51 when, when, when David wrote this. When he wrote, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. You know, after he decided that he wasn't going to go and fight, nope, I'm just going to send my men. I don't feel like it. I'm King David. I can do what I want. And, oh, my, she beautiful, you know. And then that whole story. And then when, the, when, the, when Nathan had to come, because, you know, he was so into it, you know, he was so deep into it that, that it, took, it took someone else to kind of point it out to him. And then when he saw what he did, I mean, you know, that's why David is a man after God's own heart. It's not that he, didn't, he was perfect and that he didn't mess up. He messed up big time. But you know what he did when God said, where are you? What have you done? Here comes, have mercy on me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. That's what God wants to hear. He wanted to hear. He gave them a chance. I mean, wouldn't it have been something if he, he, yeah, wearing those prickly fig leaves, but dared step, stood up from behind the bush or tree and said, we're right here. And boy, did we blow it. I wonder what would have, would have been different here. But instead, verse 10, he said, I heard you. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Look how it's changed. Oh, I heard you in the garden, but all of a sudden you have this emotion. I was afraid. I was ashamed. I am, I am naked, so I hid, and I didn't want you to see that. And God said, well, who told you that you were naked? Never knew that word before. Have you eaten? Then here it comes. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? I mean, he came point blank, came right out. Because he didn't, he didn't say it the first time. He's given him another chance and came, came really so clear. Did you eat from that tree? So waiting for him to say, yes, I did. But look at, you talk about when self is born. You now, all of a sudden, you start passing the buck. How can I get the attention off me and what I did wrong? Let's just, because look what he said. The man said, the woman you put here with me. I mean, that took guts. Because he, he was blaming God for what he did. You can, if you hadn't put her here, 
I'd have an extra rib and I w- <laughs> I'd have an extra rib and I wouldn't be in this mess. It's basically what he's saying here. The woman you put here, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. No, God didn't say anything. He went to the woman and said to her, what is this you have done? And the woman said, I mean, he probably, I'm, I'm sure God said, well, if Adam can't confess, maybe we can try the woman. Maybe she'll admit. Look what she did. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Serpent has never done that to me before. He was always good to me. We always had a good time together. And now he deceived me. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, and now we see the consequences. Here come the consequences. And you see, you see a word that that you've never seen before either, and that is cursed. Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. This is when the serpent turned into a snake, a creepy, crawling, hissing snake. I still have a hard time imagining why people love these huge snakes and even wear them around their necks and all this. I mean, it it just, I cannot fathom. Because I think when that serpent, that serpent was never beautiful and noble and all that, whatever, however, he got around before, it didn't, it was gone. The serpent now is a hissing snake. And you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Do you know what eat dust really means? It means total defeat. Total defeat. You are totally defeated. And, you know, that really resonates, doesn't it? I mean, when you think about it, you know, when he said you will eat dust, and now we know that that really literally means that, you know, um, you are totally defeated. That's exactly what Satan is, totally defeated. But then, then he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. You know, any relationship that you had, any of those nice feelings or whatever, or, or you know, nice relationship that you had before, um, it's gone. It's gone. I, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And then he says this, and to me, these last three lines in, in God's word here, this is the first time you hear the gospel message, and it's preached. It's preached by, by God Almighty to the devil himself. This, this, those last, those three lines here, they, they're grace-filled. It's all about grace, because you know what he could have done? He could have said, well, you know what? You all made a choice. You all made a choice. And, and the, I said you would die, and you're going to. And it could be eternal death forever. And the Garden of Eden disintegrates. And But already, already the plan is in motion. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You will strike his heel. We know that that means that Satan, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna strike his heel. In other words, you're gonna, you're gonna do some damage. And for a while, it's gonna really look like you're on the, you're on the winning side here. When I thought about, okay, you will strike his heel. What did that? What was that to Jesus? And I, I wrote some words down. And these, these words basically say um, he was betrayed, he was bound, he was falsely accused, he was scourged, he was spit upon, he was nailed to a cross, he hung there in thirst, in darkness, and separated from his father. So that striking his heel, it, it did, it did damage. I mean, 
Jesus suffered. And then to go into a grave for three days. Satan is just thrilled with this. You, he gets a little time in that. You, you will strike a seal. You'll have a, you'll have a few days there where it's going to look good for you. But he will crush your head. And I can picture, you know, when a snake, when a creeping, slimy snake, hissing snake, you, you crush his head. He's dead. To know that you're going to eat dust, you are already totally, you are already totally defeated. But let me make it a little plainer to you. Your head's going to be crushed. Boy, I tell you, you know, he's already doomed, but, you know, he's still running havoc, but it's still so exciting, isn't it, to just go to Revelation 20 every now and then when you, see, when you just feel like Satan has just gotten so much power. You think, all right, have your heyday because, oh, to be able to stand there and watch the Lord Jesus cast him into hell once and for all crushing his head and we will have to deal with him no more for all eternity we won't have to deal with him and then to the woman he said I will greatly increase your your pains in childbearing with pain you will give birth to children I don't know if any of you, when you were given birth to a child, I don't know if, I know I, this entered my mind once. Um, uh, thanks a lot, Eve. I thought, I did. I thought, yo, man, this was part of the curse to you, but, and we're having to pay for it. But, um, you know, it did start there. I mean, you're now going to have to experience pain. They never had pain before. And, and something so joyous and Beautiful as given birth to a, a, a human being, and then to have to go through all that, that beautiful experience somehow has a little twist to it. And then God went on and said, Your desire will be for your husband. And my first time when I thought about that, for years I thought about that, I thought, Well, isn't that a good thing? Your desire will be for your husband that, that when he walks by, he looks good to you. Your desire will be for him. And then I thought a little farther, and I thought, well, why would he have to say that? Of course, you know, you're, uh, you desire your husband. But in our world, in our day and age where, you know, it's just gone so, instead of something so wonderful for, a, for marriage and all that kind of thing. It's just got to be, well, of course. I mean, you know, promiscuity, it, it's all of this whenever I want it, with whoever I want it, if I want it, I mean, that kind of thing. And it's like he says, your desire will be for your husband. You, your husband, no one else's husband, because this, is the, this happens after marriage, and, and to keep it in the marriage, then, then your desire will be for him. It, it was kind of like, yeah, it, you can't go playing around. Your desire is for him and him alone. But then I even went deeper. I took it all in one sense. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. I took the whole verse, and I thought, oh, could it mean, could it mean that before there was no, you know, we said last week, remember, a man is superior at being a man, and a woman is superior at being a woman, and that wasn't accidental. God distinctly made man and woman with very many differences, but on purpose so that as a team, they work perfectly. And so now, 
you know, there's no leveling or, I mean, they walked in the garden in, in the presence of God and they had nothing to be ashamed of. There was no competition. There was no one lording over another. There, there was none of that competitive spirit, like I can do this better than you can. There was none of that. They were working together in one accord the way it was intended. And now, and now he says, and, and man will rule over you. And he's saying to her, this is going to be a hard pill for you to swallow. You're going to want what he's got. That's your desire will be for what your husband, his authority, his control, his position. So, you know, whatever, whatever you think. I mean, I'm just throwing that out to you. But believe me, this was going to be a hard one for the woman to accept. And then to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Because you listened, you listened instead of piped up. You just went along with it instead of standing up and telling the truth and saying, this is what God said. Cursed is the ground because of you. You know, before the ground wasn't cursed, so his work and his, um, what he had to do to take care of this garden, it was, it was delightful. It was lovely. There was no such thing about getting tired. Now that's all changed because now cursed is the ground because if you go through painful toil, you will eat of it. You're, yes, it will grow. It will grow f food for you, but it is not going to be easy. And it's going to be painful all the days of your life. And it will produce things like they had never seen thorns and thistles. Thorns and thistles. I couldn't help but just think about that for a minute. I thought, you know, how Jesus is so, um, he takes so many of the details of the, the fall and shows us how he could, even though the fall changed everything, what God intended. But Jesus comes and uses so many of the things to say, but I am going to take the place and make it all right for you. And when I saw the, the, and it will produce thorns and thistles, I thought, oh, yeah. When he's hanging on that cross, and it's so obvious that those, that crown of thorns on his head. But what he was doing for you and me that day. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. So, I mean, he's still supplying for them. I mean, he's saying you'll still have food to eat and you'll still be able to grow it, but by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Hard work, sweat, until, and this was the blinger, wasn't it? Until you return to the ground. What? That's what I told you. I warned you. I told you, you disobey me and you, you do not listen to the command. You must not. Then you will die. I told you. But that had to be an abrupt statement. Until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. It just gets, It's chilling, isn't it? It's chilling, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. I don't think I realized that before, that she didn't have a name until now. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Again, I don't mean to be silly, but, you know, he just is such a great provider, and he got rid of those prickly fig leaves. And, but, but did you see at what price? You know, the price was great, and, and he clothed them with skin. So something, some animal had to be sacrificed so that Adam and Eve could be covered in all the proper ways. But again, you can't help but associate that 
you can't help but associate that, that this is the first sacrifice. There was never a blood sacrifice until now. And so there's a blood sacrifice, and yet, who does that remind you of? The blood sacrifice of our Lord Jesus for you and me. And the Lord God said, the man is now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. I think that was a sad day for God to say. I mean, when he said that, it wasn't, oh, now, now they're, you know, they know like us. They become like one of us. I don't think that was a good statement. It was, they're like us. Now they know what evil is and they know the consequences you know, before they didn't. So now they've experienced the evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. I mean, even there, God is saying, they, now they can't eat from that tree of life. I don't want them to eat from that tree of life because if they eat from that tree of life in the condition they're in now, they will live in that state forever. There will be no hope for them. So the Lord God banished them. So again, this is grace. This is that undeserved favor and so he banished them from the garden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. He made it this time that... I can't let them eat that. I mean, you talk about a, a love and grace here because you can just tell I can't even, I know their human nature now and they know evil. And that tree of life now will probably be real enticing for them and they'll want to eat from it. I can't let him do that. I just can't. So he not only gets them out of there, but he makes sure that it's guarded so that no way can they be tempted because God's got plans. You know, it is a very hard chapter, but I don't want us to leave tonight with, with that visual. It, because it, it is bleak, and it is reality. In fact, in fact I, I read something from uh, Charles Spurgeon, and he, he said, don't ever think that the Garden of Eden wasn't real. Don't ever think that Satan wasn't real or that Adam and Eve weren't real, that the Garden of Eden was paradise once. It was, it was, it was real. And don't ever think that sin changed everything. Don't ever think that sin didn't affect everything and everyone because it did. I mean, he just made it so plain, like it's, you know, oh, isn't this quite the story? Well, we can really, you know, color this one up. And no, this is real. And this has got to be told. So I thought, I got to take you into your Bibles. I turned to Numbers, Numbers 21. Numbers 21, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's still Old Testament, but after studying this lesson tonight, I want you to hear this story that I know you know. So Numbers 21, starting with verse 4. The Israelites traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. Now, I don't know what the problem was, but apparently they didn't like that route. They were being inconvenienced for whatever. And so the people grew impatient on the way and they spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. 
you know, we know that the Israelites walked away from God and complained and whined so many times and, and how the Lord just kept, you know, catching them around the neck to try to get their attention, to bring them back. And, but boy, does he choose some ways sometime to really get our attention. And look at verse 6. I mean, the Lord's sick of that complaining and whining and not trusting him and, and negative and critical. And when he, when he had given them everything that they needed, I mean, to think of how brutal they were being treated and for them to say, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? You know, this just had a... Then the Lord said, venomous snakes. See, now you're seeing this venomous snake and he sent a bunch of them among them and they bit the people and many Israelites died. Now, you think, well... That wasn't very nice. Couldn't he just had him bite him and that would get their attention? You know, that's why the Old Testament so often gets the shaft. People don't want to study it because they say, oh, there's just so much death and God is so mean. And no, that's love. I mean, he could just let us go. Okay, you think you're smart? You think you just want to whine and criticize and think that I don't know better than you do? Okay, he could just let us go. But Thank goodness he will do whatever it takes to grab us around the neck to get our attention. And sometimes, no, it isn't comfortable. And yes, sometimes, you know, goodness, can you imagine all these venomous snakes and they're biting and, and then seeing some dead bodies? And uh, it worked. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at that and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bit, bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. And that's something after just reading this and how how. You know, the Lord used that and those venomous snakes and, and then to have, okay, you know, make a bronze snake, put it up on the pole. And if anyone, anyone will look at that pole, they will live. Okay, now, now turn to... John 3, you know, that wonderful chapter in John 3, and I'm having you look up. I could have just read this to you, but I wanted you to see it for yourself in God's word, how this all just correlates so perfectly, and how Jesus himself says, and after studying Genesis 3 and then Numbers 21, and now listen to Jesus in John 3, 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. I don't think I really caught that that verse was the one right before, for God so loved the world. That, that, that whoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. And then finally, turn to Luke 22. Luke chapter 22. Another very familiar passage, but I want you to picture... Um, Again, I want you to picture Satan enticing Eve with that piece of fruit. And, and he said those words. He said, you know, here, here. I can just see that hand reach out to her and say, look. And when she looked, oh, yeah, it looked great. And so, here, here take it, take it, eat it. 
And by obeying and, and doing that and listening to Satan, she took it and she ate it and then she gave it and that changed everything. And then we read Jesus' words in Luke chapter 22. Look what he came to do. He came and, and basically said, I'm going to say those words to you and it's going to change you back. It's going to buy you back. You're going to be bought and paid for. That cross and that broken body is going to take you back into the position with a relationship with me that was once taken away in Genesis 3. He says, take and eat. Take, now, this take and eat sure does a whole lot different, doesn't it, than the former take and eat. This take and eat, he says, and remember, remember the cost. Take and eat this and remember that my body, eat me, eat a piece of me, and that will become a part of you. And then a whole life, a new life comes out of you. Satan took away our life by saying, take and eat. He took away our life. But we are so grateful tonight that Jesus came and said, take and eat, and I'll give you your life back. No one else could do that. Heavenly Father, what a lesson. And we are grateful that how Scripture just all works together, and none of it's coincidence and how it just fits so perfectly. And tonight we can sing Alleluia, what a Savior. Because we have one. And if we didn't have one, if, if amazing grace was never heard of, we wouldn't ever be able to know what being found is. We would be lost we would be blind and yet we can sing that familiar song and know that because of a Savior, you gave us life back. So tonight we, we just love your word. We love the details of it and how we can kind of put ourselves right in the middle of the story and, and may it really, really react to us personally, that every one of us is guilty. Every one of us is an Eve. We've been enticed. We've forgotten that, that we have a power within us. That yes, we have an enemy that can out outsmart us, but we have a power within us that can overcome him. But do we really want it? Because so often that enticing, it just fits right with our flesh and what we want. But Father, we, we know that every disobedience will reap a consequence. And most of all, it hurts you. And Father, may, may that matter to us. That when we want our own way, when we want to be on our own road, when we want to call, when we want to be on the throne and call our own shots, that hurts you. And it will never lead to a good place. When are we going to learn that? Father, may it be said of us that we do trust and obey because we believe there really is no other way to really know abundant life. That's the way we cling in this day and age, in this unperfect world, to get us back, to get us to the perfect world. How do we, how do we manage? And that's by clinging to you and listening to what you said and daring to obey. We pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen.